0: We're glad you're here tonight. We bless you. You know, we were sharing last week in the area, we've been sharing on wisdom. We're so glad you're here tonight because the Lord wants you to have a life that He dreamed of you having. He says, I have good plans and great plans, but many times as we've in the Word of God, a lot of times our life depends on us receiving the riches of His Word. And you know, one of the things you find in studying that the Americans take after the Greeks that we study and we're educated because we value knowledge. But the Hebrews are the only ones who they study because they value life. You know, you can get a lot of certificates and you can get a lot of knowledge. But if you don't value life, a lot of times that education is not as important uh, because you take an education, it's all about who you can become, what you can get. But when you value life, the education will be balanced with character. And I shared last week about character, and I wanted to start with competence tonight. And that's what part of the wisdom does. And I want to give you some of the definition here. It means knowledge is the ability, competence in the area of knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge is the ability to perceive reality. The ability to perceive reality, and, and we're going to be talking about competence in the area of prudence tonight. It's the ability to perceive reality and adjust Our conduct as needed to see reality and adjust, adjust our conduct, adjust the way we lived. In other words, this would be a good word to say that the spirit of God is in us and upon us so that we don't live in denial of what is or what could be. But wisdom is telling us this is what you're confronting. This is how you have to adjust yourself. Don't wait for the situation to change. Maybe you need to change. And that's in the area of competence. That's in the area of perceiving and, and seeing something through discernment the wisdom of God that I may t- need to adjust some routines. I may need to adjust some areas, some attitudes in my life because I, I, I perceive the reality of what I'm going through. And that's where wi- uh, wisdom with humility comes in. And I want to share with you, this is one of the words in, in chapter Uh, Proverbs chapter 1 verses 1 through 9 This is one of the words for prudence And it's the Hebrew word arma O-R-M-A And I'm just going to have time to give you this word The others I should be able to go through fast But the Holy Spirit took me somewhere with this word And I'm glad He did Because I feel we need it And then there's questions people ask me And I feel we need this We need an understanding of this area But it's the word where you find the word prudence in Proverbs chapter one verse four. But I want to read to you in Proverbs chapter four, Proverbs chapter fourteen verse fifteen about prudence. And this is going to bless you tonight. Hope you're taking notes, or if not, you can listen to it on the web or get the uh, um, the CD after service. And we just welcome those listening on the web. God bless you tonight. Proverbs chapter fourteen verse fifteen. This is the Living Bible. Only the simpletons or the simple people believe everything they're told. The prudent carefully consider their steps. Say prudent. Prudent. The prudent carefully consider their steps. I love uh, the King James says, The simple believes every word, but the prudent considers well his steps. Or like the English Standard Version says, The prudent gives thought to his steps. And then uh, look with me in chapter 8 of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 8, verse 5. And this is that word, Arma. And I'm going to give you the definition of what this means, and it's going to be a blessing to you. Chapter 8, verse 5. It says, Oh, you simple ones. How many of you know after tonight, nobody have to tell you, here's your sign anymore. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> oh, you simple ones. Understand prudence. There it is. You see that word? And you fools, be of an understanding heart. We don't have to be simple-minded. We don't have to be ignorant. We don't have to be fools anymore. Thank God. And jump down to verse 12. It says, I, wisdom, dwell with who? I, wisdom, dwell with who? Prudence. And find out knowledge and discretion. Now, how many of you know, you've seen that word three times already, and it's also in Proverbs chapter 1, the word prudence. And I'm going to give you some of the definitions here. It means in the positive sense of foreseeing challenges and making the correct preparation. Foreseeing challenges and making the correct preparation. And I want to give you an example. Go with me, First Samuel chapter 18. 1 Samuel chapter 18, this is Bible study, so let's use the Bibles. 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 14. And I want to show you this in action right here. This is the living Bible. 1 Samuel 18, verse 14. David continued to succeed in everything he did. How many wants that? Well, that's a good way to start off a verse right there. David continued, say continued, Continued. no matter what ended up coming up against him, he continued to succeed in everything he did, for the Lord was with him. When Saul recognized this, he became even more afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he was so successful in leading his troops into battle now the king james says david behaved himself wisely and it goes on to say when saul saw that he behaved very wisely say very wisely there's that word prudence if there was something that he could sense or discern that was coming in front of him something that was going to be disastrous or dangerous if i'm going to succeed i'm going to have to adjust myself to what i'm seeing here now proverbs chapter 22 verse 3 says proverbs 22 verse 3 A prudent person foresees danger and takes precautions. A prudent person foresees danger and takes precautions. But the simple ones go blindly and end up and suffers the consequences. Now here we keep hearing this word prudence. Seeing things that are heading up. Some people say, you know, Pastor, my wife left me. Well, did you see this coming? Yeah, I just didn't think she would do it. Well, prudence says, you see something coming, adjust and change. I saw the boss was taking record of how late I've been the last few mornings and how he's acted when I gave my excuses. Well, if you knew that, and he was taking notes, why didn't you start showing up 15 minutes early instead of 15 minutes late? Prudence says to watch out. Now, I got this in the mail from State Forum today. And it says, can you really see good at night? Does a carrot a day keep night driving hazards away? And it talks about beta-carotene and, you know, you need to be taking care of your eyes. But listen to this. Some of the reasons might be obvious. Darkness, increased fatigue and more probability of alcohol use. How many of you know if you're going to drink, you might not see as good at night? They decrease your safety, okay? The prudent foresees the danger. Right now, listen. This is to us. This is the National Safety Council. If you want to drive safely at night, you say, "You, I can't see good at night." Wash the bugs and the dirt off your windshield. This what... Wash the bugs. You know, I'm having trouble. You think I need to go see the doctor? And you go look at their windshield, and you go, "Man," for or you go and you look at their glasses, and you go, "Clean your glasses." Clean your windshield and you'll probably see better. Can I get an amen in the house tonight? Prudence foresees the evil or the consequences and adjusts. So it says, clean your windshield. Turn your lights on. Duh. Clean your lights on. <laughs> so that the people can see you. I'm quoting it like they got it. Listen to this. Avoid smoking when you drive. Because the nicotine, the carbon monoxide, decreases nice vision, depth perception, color recognition, and a whole bunch of other stuff. So can you imagine? You know, I can't see good at night. I know, it looks like your car's on fire on the inside. (laughs) Reduce, Reduce your speed and increase your following distance. It's more difficult to judge another vehicle's speed at distances at night. So how many of you know... You don't have to go to L.C. or A. or any of those to understand this. How many of you know? Clean your windshield. Don't smoke your car up till you can't see. Clean your eyeglasses. They don't say that, but I just put that in there. And then uh, turn your lights on. You know, it sure is dark. We we were in Baton Rouge a few weeks ago, and and, and somebody must have got a brand new vehicle. And we followed them all the way through Baton Rouge. And everybody was trying to tell them that they were driving 10 o'clock at night with no lights on. 18 wolves were passing by and everything else. They didn't know their lights weren't on. How many? It helps if you put your lights on. Well, I don't have time, but here it talks about 146,400 people had fire structure damage or homes and 480,000 deaths and 4,690 injuries. And it goes on and tells all this type of stuff. You want to know why? They left the pot on the fire. So prudence says, turn the fire off. If if you can foresee the dangers, be careful, okay? So listen to this. Prudence, I mean, this is another example. Prudence is thoughtful, critical capacity to make wise decisions. It weighs the consequences before acting. It weighs the consequences before acting. It safeguards from being led astray from attractive persuasions. It will save you. Prudence will save you from having to repent later. Prudence will save you from having to apologize later. Prudence will save you from danger later. Brother uh, Chris and I were talking about an awesome man of God that was used so mildly in the 70s and 80s, Keith Green. He was warned about how many people he was allowed to put in his plane. But he wanted to put some extra and he put his kids. And his wife saw her husband and her children, that plane crash in their backyard. We had a missionary. He was told many times, don't overload your vehicle traveling through the mountains of Mexico. But he wanted to get everything over there. So he'd overload his vehicle and he died and left six of his kids orphans with his wife. And then you just hear over and over stories where Prudence says, listen, take the limit now, there's a reason why the vehicle says how much the vehicle can carry. You're gonna go through the mountains. Wisdom says, take less and make another trip later. But I want to get it all now. And it cost him his life, and six children were left without a dad. So this is part of the example of prudence. How many anybody saw 2020 last night? Last night nobody saw 2020. There's the story about a lady in Texas that she ran over her husband because she found him cheating on her. And so they're talking the trial and they're doing all the study and she's supposed to have ran over this guy three times. Well, they were trying to prove she didn't and they, they studied this and they studied that. And she, they did a mock trial and one of the professionals says, do not get mostly women on the, on the, uh, in the jury because for one, this widow, this murderer widow, uh, was pretty, rich, intelligent, and dressed well. And they said, Women just won't like that when they come in there and see her like that, so it's best not to get mostly women. Well, they said, We want mostly women. They got mostly women. Then they told this lady, Do not get on the stand. Do not take the stand. She says, I want to take the stand. They had to let her take the stand as she hung herself. I mean, I, what I mean by hung herself, she got herself in trouble. They called her guilty, and she, the neighbors are raising her two kids for the next 20 years. Prudence told her, her lawyer worked so hard, he had a heart attack at the courthouse. Don't take the stand because they're going to get you on this, they're going to get you on that. No, 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 let me tell my side of the story. It cost her 20 years. Prudence is saying, listen, take heed to what I'm telling you. Now, let me give you some more of the definition here. This is an interesting part of prudence, and we need to get this. The word arma, which is Hebrew, it means shrewdness, crafty, scheming. It's used in Genesis 3.1 for the serpent. It means crafty, smooth, slick. And you may be saying, well, that doesn't sound like wisdom. J- just wait, wait. We're going to get to something tonight because this is a Hebrew word to show. How many know Jesus said, "Be wise as serpents." I want to show you tonight that this word prudence means, in the first place. Here, it means to be wiser than those who consider themselves wise, and craftier than those who consider themselves crafty. How many of you know Ephesians chapter six, verse eleven says that we are to put on the whole armor of God and stand against the walls of the enemy. The word "walls" mean the craftiness and the deceits of the enemy, and I want to show you how the word tonight that we can out scheme and be and outcraft the crafty serpent called the devil. And I'm going to give you some examples, and I'm going to show you some things in the word, and I believe it's going to be an, uh, an encouragement to you. And uh, I just want to show you a scripture here. Look with me in, in Job chapter five, verse 13. Job chapter five verse thirteen, and I know you're thinking, don't make no preconceived ideas. And I'm telling you to uh, be crafty and deceitful. I'm not saying that. Just wait. Job chapter five verse thirteen. Pastor said I can lie to people and I can scheme and I can maneuver. No, 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 no. Just, just, just stick with me. Let's stay in the Word, and I show you. I'm just giving the Hebrew definition. Job chapter four. I'm, I mean chapter five. Verse 13, I'm going to read in a few translations here. It says, He catches the wise in their own craftiness, and the counsel of the cunning comes upon them. The Living Bible says, He traps the wise in their own cleverness, so their clever schemes are throttled." And then I want to read the uh, Amplified. It says, he catches the so-called wise in their own trickiness, and the counsel of the schemers is brought to a quick end. And he said, okay, well, he's talking about bringing uh, the schemers and connivers into a quick end. Yeah, but he's talking about giving us a wisdom and a knowledge to where we're not going to be caught by their craftiness and their quickiness. Let me show you some more. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 19 through 20. In the Amplified, it says this. 1 Corinthians 3, 19 through 20. For this world's wisdom is foolishness with God, for it is written. He lays hold of the wise in their own craftiness. And again the Lord knows the thoughts and reasonings of the humanly wise and recognizes how fruitless they are. First Corinthians 1 19 in the Amplified Bible says, For it is written. I will baffle and render useless and destroy the learning of the learned and the philosophy of the philosophers and the cleverness of the clever and the discernment of the discerning. And I will frustrate and nullify them and bring them to nothing. What's he saying here is that I'm going to be able to give my people a wisdom and a knowledge of prudence to where they're not going to be able to trick you or get you positioned in the area of being tricked. But I'm going to give you a wisdom to out trick those who are trying to trick you. How many of you know you do not have to be a victim to the devil or to the schemes of the devil through men to trick us into things? that would try to hinder our lives from being fruitful. Now bear with me as I go through this tonight because I know you're saying, this sounds awfully weird. J- just, just, just listen and I'll, I'll give you some examples here. And if you could put that picture up, brother, what got me on this and I read this, I know you're probably freaking out of the message. Now you're freaking out that I got an old picture of the devil. But I want to tell you about this picture. How many have ever seen this picture? It's a picture. How many chess players do we have here? If you're a chess player, you probably recognize. You can't see it, but on the table, they're playing chess. Let me tell you about this picture from the mid-1800s. This particular piece of art, on one side of the board sat a man whose slumped shoulders and panicked eyes showed utter defeat. The look on his face left the viewer with the impression that the stakes surrounding the duel had a very high price. His own soul was waged on the outcome. The man to the left in the blue tights is the guy playing chess and the devil's the one in the red tides. On the other side of the board was the awful, terrifying image. This is the legend of Faust, who represents the spirit of the devil, the soul stealer. His large figure is raising up from his chair in an obvious victory, gloating over the spoils he has already made. He seized the pitiful opponent and he stood up, shouting out, Checkmate! The chess master's host, the the guy sitting to the left with his hand like that, is his pastor. No doubt on many an occasion he had stood and looked intently into the hopeless and horrified eyes of the defeated man depicted in the painting and pondered how many people of his own town lived with their souls overtaken by the devil. The chess master, on the other hand, focused on the board, intently calculating how the game had been played. All of a sudden, the preacher and the other diner guests were intrigued. what are you doing? As the man changed around the board, they asked. The chess master most surely looked up at the chessboard with a gleam in his eyes. As the legend has it, he then challenged the others to a game of chess. He was start severely handicapped with his pieces placed in the position held by the young man in the painting with who had been on the brink of defeat. Whichever dinner guest would take the devil's side would seem to have the upper hand. At least one guest could not resist the temptation to beat the master at his own game and choose the side with the devil. One popular chess player wrote The artist who the artist has made a mistake. Listen to this now. There is no checkmate. Satan has not won. See here, look. And pointing to the board, he drew a deep breath and said, The king has one more move. The king has one more move. And the moral of the story is how many times the devil thought he had one of us in a place where it seemed like we had no more moves and it was over. The devil stood up and shouted, Checkmate! I win! And you lose. The price is your family. The price is your soul. The price is your job. The price is your peace. The price is your joy. And what the Spirit of Prudence is saying, I will give you a wisdom that when you study it, this famous chess player studied He said, wait a minute. The painter made a mistake. Satan did not win. Because the little man had one more move left, and it was the move of the king. How many know our king has another move? wherever you are in your life our king Jesus has another move you're not done with you're not over you're not finished Jesus always has another move and the spirit of wisdom within you already has another move you may have papers saying it's over you may be in a place where it says it's over it's finished you may be in a circumstance in life where it looks like it's finished but hallelujah our king Jesus has the final word he's the winner he's the victorious one he is saying don't cry don't weep it's not over yet. Hallelujah. Amen. Now listen. Jesus, he has your destiny in his heart, your family's destiny, your your job's destiny, and the enemy attacks knowing that if he can, if he can cause you to believe that you are finished, then you'll give up and decree vi- vi- uh, being victorious over. But how many of you know that what God is trying to say tonight and what he's been trying to say, don't cry, defeat, cry, victory, no matter what it looks, because the king has another move. Amen. By knowing that God has something greater and bigger planned for us is central in gaining both the energy and the strategy to outwit the enemy. We can be assured that Satan launches his assaults against us and all may seem lost, but our king has one more move. Amen. Shout out our king has one more move. Now listen, this is from Daniel King who who wrote a book, Chess from the First Moves to Checkmate. He says here, Chess is a game of war. You control one army and your opponent. The enemy controls the other. The fate of your army, army depends entirely on your own skill. Most other games rely on chance, a move made by the roll of a dice or the turn of a card. But in chess, there is no luck. You are entirely responsible for your own success or failure. And this is why chess can be one of the most satisfying of all games to win. Before you make your move on the chessboard, you must try to predict as far as you can how your opponent is going to react. Perseverance there. In deciding what to play, you need to use reason, memory... And logic combined with a dash of intuition and inspiration. Hallelujah. There is a wisdom for us, God's people, to be able to know ahead of time with prudence what the enemy is planning, what could be ahead, what corner not to go to, what place not to be in, what not to look at, who not to be with. It's the prudence and the wisdom of God that is able to outwit the enemy. give you an example. King Solomon. The lady who killed her baby during the night and took her other, the other lady's baby came to King Solomon's and said, she killed her baby, this is my baby. And the real mother started crying out, no, it's my baby. What do you do? Prudence, you outwit the one who's trying to outwit you. That lady was trying to trick King Solomon. But prudence says, I'll give you a wisdom to trick the trickster. Give you another example. King David. He didn't know what to do except to go to the hands of the enemy. So what did he do? He got out the front door and started acting like a wild man. He really wasn't wild. But acting like a wild man got him accepted by the enemy and became almost a son to the king, the Philistine king, acting with prudence. Of course, you know what this is leading to. I want to read to you out of 1 Corinthians 2, 6 through 10 that says, However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. Listen to this now. But we are speaking the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom. Somebody say hidden wisdom. Brother Shane, you could go ahead and take that picture off. The hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory. The wisdom that has been hidden for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known that they... If they would have known the wisdom of God, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. (laughs) The Word of God is saying... The devil was so determined to mock Jesus, hum- humiliate Jesus. He was so determined to get Jesus removed off of this earth that he never knew, the trickster of all tricksters never knew that before the foundation of the world in the wisdom of God, God had it already preordained and pre-planned that what Satan thought was the defeat of the Son of God was really the victory, the liberation and the jubilee for the church. Church of Jesus Christ. If the devil in hell would have known that the cross set us free and has been populating heaven with both Jew and Gentile, they would have never crucified the Lord. but because they didn't know and God had prudence and prudence said, save the mystery in the cross. Save the mystery. In the blood. Save the mystery in the name. Save the mysteries in the prophecies. They, I know, Satan cannot understand and know everything that God knows. Therefore, what he thought was going to be the end has been the beginning for the church of all eternity. That's our God. And you may feel right now the devil's been trying to trick you with something. He's got you in a corner. But what the devil doesn't know, that by pushing you in a corner, is just a setup for the open door he's prepared for you to walk through, to be used and an influence for the kingdom of God at this hour like never before. What the enemy means for evil, God means for good. And when you study there, the word trickster in this word, all Hebrew is the word used where Rachel was in competition and she was trying to get children no matter how and no matter what. And she thought she had tricked Jacob and she thought that she was going to win this. And that's that word used there. But it's also used that when Joseph came to his brothers and they were scared to death and they were saying, oh, now that our father is dead, Joseph is going to kill us. What did Joseph say? What you meant for evil. You had it all planned out. You took my coat. You killed an animal. You thought you had it all planned out. You put blood on that coat. You threw me in a pit. Then you came up with the idea after that. All these ideals were perfectly planned. Dad would never know about it. You threw me in the pit. You th- brought that coat. You ripped it up. You put blood on it. You brought it to dad. And you said, Dad, Joseph's been killed by a wild beast. And daddy might have believed it. And you might have sold me into slavery. But what you meant for evil through your trickery, God had won up his sleeve. And you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And God brought me here for the salvation of thousands of souls. Oh, there's no one like our God. You may say, I've lost my house. It's over. God is saying, I can set you up for something greater than you have ever pre-planned before. I lost my job. I lost my family. Oh, no, no, no. I got a way of reconciliation, says the Lord. He has a way of tricking the devil. He has a way of giving you and I wisdom and knowledge and understanding that when the atheists come and they use all their knowledge, just a simple spoken word in the ear by the Holy Spirit causes the atheist to say, "I can't answer that." I will tell you things at that time. I will. You open your mouth and I will fill it with mysteries and wisdom that will even silence the gainsayers. Oh, hallelujah! Prudence that foresees and prepares. In 1 Corinthians 6 through 10, we see here that God has wisdom greater than any worldly wisdom. Say amen. amen. God has greater wisdom than any worldly wisdom. Don't worry about what man may say. You keep looking to the Word of God. Two, powers and principalities do not have excess to the wisdom of God. Right. Demons. Demonic spirits. Witches. And that's one of the things when you look up that scripture in Job that we read. It said all the astrologers and all the psychics can use their trick in reading the stars. And all God has to do is just move one star a little to the right and confuse them all. <laughs> oh, we can read the stars, God says. ha oh, you read the stars, i make the stars principalities and powers. Oh, you know what? I don't want to say nothing because the devil may find out. Oh, no. You will... You No, no, no. The wisdom of God will keep you. The authority of demonic forces is limited. There is a wisdom that has been hidden since the beginning of time for His glory and for you. Through the redemptive cross of Jesus Christ, we have access to this wisdom. God is prepared to release this wisdom to to us as we get to know Him intimately through prayer and study of His Word. The wisdom will overthrow high places and release the captives. The wisdom of God, the prudence of God will foresee, you know, I keep falling in the same pit, I I keep making the same circle. You see, what the children of Israel did not have in the wilderness was prudence. They had to keep going around the mountain. We don't have to keep falling into the same pit. We don't have to keep making the same mistakes. Glory be to God. He can give us prudence and wisdom and knowledge and understanding. And it says, wisdom dismantles demonic structures and dethrones the thrones of iniquity. We do not have to live in habits or subject to certain sins. We can see the precaution. As it says, you see the precaution of a young man going near her corner and the spirit of prudence and wisdom is saying, do not go near her corner or she will utterly defeat you and her words that are smooth as butter will turn sharp as knives. So the spirit of God, as spirit of prudence and wisdom is speaking. Be careful. Be, watch, it. watch it that you don't fall into the trap of this or to, fall into the trap of that. Go, don't go to that place if you know you're going to be tempted. Use prudence. Stay away from those things. Listen to wisdom. Amen. Amen. Now, oh, it's already f- over five after. Where did time go? But well, did you get something out of this tonight? Amen. Hallelujah. Now, how you know pastor didn't tell you to go trick people? Well, well, the wisdom of God is saying we do not have to be tricked by the enemy. Right. Amen. How do you know the devil wants to set us up? You've ever been set up by the devil? Perfect situation. Something you knew better. How did I do that? How did that happen? It was a setup by the enemy. But listen, we believe in the setup of God. And what seemed like the end has been the beginning. When we first got here to Pineville, it, my dad passed away. It seemed like the end, and everything was going to shut down. And now we're at another beginning. And then you see another beginning. Why? Because it's a setup from God. God, His wisdom, His prudence foresees. And you may be at the move, getting ready for another move, another job, a a, a new relationship, whatever it may be. Prudence wants to help you through this. Amen. How many receive the mind of Christ? Okay, let me give you these points and I end. First of all, in Genesis chapter 3, if we're not going to be outwitted by the enemy... We got to know some of the definitions of the devil. So let me give you this as we're close tonight. First of all, in Genesis 3, 3, he's known as the deceiver. What's one of the tricks of the deceiver? Oh, don't listen to God. He's just trying to hold you back. That's what he told Adam and Eve. If you eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge, you'll be as wise as him. God is trying to hold you back. That's the trick of the enemy and it cost him the garden. Number two, he's known as the adversary, Numbers twenty two twenty two, to oppose us. In first Thessalonians two eighteen, he opposes the works of God and his chosen ones. He is devoted to overthrow God's children. Number three, in Genesis chapter three, he uses up authority. He uses up God's authority. He wanted to dethrone God's throne and he wants to trick us to follow in those paths and, and to not follow God and obey him with our heart. Number four, the accuser. Genesis three thirteen. Listen to this: the accuser of the brethren came in the garden, and he tricked Adam and he tricked Eve, and then Adam received it too. And what happened? Adam and Eve, who were in perfect harmony, turned on each other. The accuser will try to tempt us to accuse. One another. That's a trick of the enemy, so we have to be careful about that. He's known as the tempter in First Corinthians seven five. He'll try to find our weakness, patterns of weakness, and he'll try to set up. He will try to set up and trick us and cause us to fall in areas of weakness and in patterns. He, next, he's a legalistic. He loves to get us under the law and restrictions to break the freedom of the spirit. In Matthew twelve two twenty four and twenty seven. He's known as Beelzebub. He has an organized structure of demonic forces that He tries to use against us to attack us in our mind, our emotions. In Ephesians two two, He's known as the principality of the air to influence the world and the structure of the world. And then in John 12.31, He's called the prince of this world and He uses it to manipulate world structures. Then you can read in Romans 12, 1 through 2 where it talks about the, uh, not walking conforming to this time or this age. He will try to use something in every... Every generation to try to trick up God's people. But let, let, let's stand up tonight.